Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. We are in 2 Peter chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there, 2 Peter chapter 2. And the title of this message is Know Your Adversaries. Last week we talked about Know Your Scriptures. And this week we're going to talk about your adversaries and we'll find out the adversaries, who the adversaries are. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and read out of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction." And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. One of the things that I do typically when I'm studying through a, a, a chapter, any passage of scripture, and I'm doing a Bible study, you know, if I'm, you know, I might be just reading through it and, and just asking the Lord to just speak to me. But when I'm doing a study, I'll usually get out a piece of paper and I'll write who, what, where, when, how, why, you know, all those basic questions I like to ask about a scripture. And so this morning we're actually going to be answering or we're going to be asking those questions and we're going to be answering those questions. Who, who are we talking about? When is this going to take place? What is going to take place? Where will it take place? Why will it take place? And how will it take place? And then finally, you know, I can give you a ton of information, but what good is that? What do you do about it? Uh, that, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road, okay? It's good to know about this stuff, but what do we do about it? And so hopefully, I hope to touch on all those things this morning. So the first thing I want to look at is who are we talking about? And you'll notice that uh, Peter mentions that there were false prophets. What's a prophet? Well, a prophet is uh, someone who is sent by God, and he's sent by God to speak to his people and he's speaking on behalf of God to his people. And so in the Old Testament, God would send prophets all the time to the children of Israel, to the nation of Judah, to different people to speak his words to those people. Well, a false prophet is someone who supposedly speaks for God, but they lie. God is not speaking through them. And throughout the Old Testament, you know, I can think of the prophets of Baal, for example. You remember that story? Well, one of the things I was reading is just as I was preparing is reading in Jeremiah. Remember Jeremiah? One of the last prophets before, uh, before the Babylonians, you know, conquered Judah and destroyed Jerusalem. And uh, God had sent him to speak to his people and he's speaking, and it's not good news, right? God's, God, through Jeremiah, is saying, the Babylonians are coming. They're going to destroy this place. Submit to them, and I'll take care of you. I mean, that's, in a nutshell, that's basically what uh, Jeremiah was prophesying. And, of course, who wants to hear bad news, right? So the people were uh, looking at these other people that were false prophets who were lying, basically. And in Jeremiah 14, verse 14, this is how God describes these false prophets. And the Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. So Peter is saying there were false prophets among the people. He's talking, and you can go through the Old Testament and read all about them, all throughout the Old Testament. There were false prophets, 
and there will be false teachers. Now, who is false teachers? Well, again, teachers, they don't teach, they don't, you know, prophets speak for God to the people. Pro teachers teach about God to the people. And so these false teachers, they supposedly teach about God, but what they actually end up doing is they twist the truth and they're teaching false things about God. So that's the who. We're talking about false prophets and false teachers this morning. The next question that I, that I asked is when? When is this going to take place? And you'll notice that Peter said there were false prophets and there will be false teachers. And of course, he's talking to first century believers, right? Uh, right at the time in Peter's day. Well, it was true for people in Peter's day, true for the church then, and it's true today. All through the ages, there have been false teachers um, that have been leading people astray, twisting, twisting the gospel, twisting the truth. And there's not just false teachers. Now, Peter's talking about false teachers, but Jesus said in Matthew 24, 11, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So, uh, you know, I'm talking about false teachers, but just keep in your mind, there's also going to be false prophets. And there have been false prophets, and there are false prophets. So... We, we, we talked about who, when, now how about where? And that's kind of an interesting question. He says there that there will be false teachers among you. Among you. He's talking to the believers. He's talking to a church, to Christians. In fact, at the end of verse 13, he describes them. He says, they are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Now, if you want to take 2 Peter and you want to get, kind of get a commentary on it, you don't even have to go to a bookstore. Just turn to Jude. The book of Jude, the letter of Jude, is a, really a, it's a good commentary on 2 Peter. And Jude describes these false teachers too. And in verse 12 of, of Jude chapter 1, he goes a little bit further. You know, Peter says they're, 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 they feast with you, but Jude says it a little bit more, goes into depth. He says, they are spots in your love feasts while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. That word love feasts, it's the word agape. Remember the early church and Paul even had to address Corinth because they were kind of abusing the agape feasts, the love feasts that they would have. It's where the Christians would gather together, you know, having a potluck. They'd have a meal together. They they end it with communion. It was a, it was a just a very intimate second, uh, intimate time for the believers in fellowship with one another. And Jude says, "Hey, they're going to be right among your. They're going to be right among you guys." Now I'm looking around, and there's some people look like looking over at the people next to them. Like, I wonder if that's you know, is, is there a wolf sitting next to you? Well, if it's your wife or husband, that's don't worry about it. <laughs> Paul said this in Acts chapter 20, verse 29. He says, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. So just bear in mind, these false teachers that Peter's describing, it's not like it's some aberration out. I mean, there are aberrations out and, you know, on TV or internet or whatever. He's talking about right in the local church. There will be false teachers. And so what do they do? And that's the next question. He says they secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. Very interesting. If you look in this chapter of Peter, Peter uses the word destruction or, or destroy six times. So, I mean, this is serious. 
he's talking about uh, very damaging heresies. Now, what's, what's a heresy? You've probably heard of the word heretic, or maybe you've called something, you know, said, that's heresy. What is it? Well, it comes from a Greek word that means to choose or a choice. And here's a definition. Um, uh, it's a, well, let me just read it to you. Heresies. It's a sectarian group. Oh, let me back up here. Heresy is strictly the choice of an opinion contrary to that usually received. So someone gets some kind of a, you know, we receive, we all receive the gospel message and, and, and people, they, they hear it and then they have a different opinion. It's a little different than what everybody else has. And Tyndale says this, it's a sectarian group or teaching that deviates from the norm. So you have someone who believes differently about something and uh, they start spreading that around. They propagate it. And uh, what happens is, you know, they'll get a group of people and that becomes a sect. And so you've probably heard of that. Now, within Judaism, there were sects. There was the sect of the, the Sadducees. They were a group that they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels or the spirit. Uh, there was also the sect of the Pharisees. And they basically believed that, you know, your, your way to heaven was through righteousness by keeping the law. That was, that was how they believed. It's in Acts 15, verse 5. The key word, though, in, in, in this whole thing is secret. Secret. They secretly bring in. And it's, that, that word, it's, it's, it's really a metaphor of spies or traitors that are infiltrating, in a, 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 you know, the enemy camp to, to cause uh, you know, to cause confusion or to, to kind of mess up the mission or whatever you want to call it. And so Jude even goes a little further. He says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed. So they're all, they're among us. <laughs> you know, it'd be one thing if, if just a person, you know, in our church comes and they, they have a different interpretation of some scripture and it's you know way out there and they've got an erroneous belief and it's one thing if they say hey I believe totally different this is what I believe and then they leave the church that, that'd be one thing but the problem is a lot of times they stay and Jude says this in verse 19 these are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the spirit so a lot of times these false teachers, they subtly and quietly cause division within a church. I've got some quotes from Warren Wiersbe. He says, the word heresy originally meant simply to make a choice, but then it came to mean a, a sect or a party. He says this, promoting a party spirit in a church is one of the works of the flesh. And you can read that in Galatians 5.20. It says, whenever a church member says to another church member, are you on my side or the pastor's side? He is promoting a party spirit and causing division. He says, a false teacher forces you to make a choice between his doctrines and the doctrines of the Christian faith. Again, if someone has some kind of erroneous belief that's way out there and they, and they openly declare it and they say, you know, and... and uh, um, they, they basically say, okay, I, you know, I, I believe differently, and so I'm leaving. I, I've had that happen before in our fellowship. We have people that believe differently and leave. That, that's one thing. Um, I would typically call those blessed subtractions. You know, it's like, praise the Lord, they're out of here. Um, but again, frequently they stay within a church. 
they sow discord and they upset the faith of many. It's kind of like a cancer. You know, it's underneath the surface and it, it's there, it's festering, it's, it's, it's slowly killing the body. And that's what happens with these false teachers that stay. Why do false teachers stick around? Why not just say, you know what, I don't agree with you guys, I'm out of here. Well, Paul kind of describes their attitudes or their hearts. He says, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. They want a following. That's basically what it is. They want people, you know, if you have a different opinion, that's fine. But what happens is typically it's like they want to share it secretly with someone and they, and they start to gain people because they want people to follow them. Well, why do they do it? And why is it described as being destructive? Well, you know, a false teacher probably wants a following. They want people to gather to them. Um, but what's beneath that, though, is the enemy, the real enemy, Satan, the devil. He's, it's a work of Satan. I have found this quote, and I don't remember where it's from, but, so I, don't, I can't attribute it, but he said this, Smooth-tongued false teachers seldom deny Jesus Christ who taught, but they do deny Jesus who bought the devil hates the doctrine of the cross of Christ. You know, they might agree about the miracles of Jesus and the different things, but what happens frequently, or what usually it progresses to, is that they basically deny what Jesus Christ did for you and I on the cross. And that's where it becomes destructive. That's where it becomes dangerous. Um, years ago, I'm talking quite a few years ago in our fellowship, we've got a small fellowship, I had become aware, and it was kind of, it had been going on for a little while, and I wasn't that aware of about it until it kind of came to the surface. But I was aware of someone in our fellowship who had been caught up in, uh, caught up with some false teachers. And uh, they had got caught up by a casual attender to our church. It was a person that was casually attending and, and very quiet and know much about that person. Well, it turned out they were recruiting people to this false teaching. And, and again, it was all hush, hush. It wasn't until kind of somebody finally contacted me and said, Pastor, there's something going on you need to be aware of. And so I met with this person and yeah, sure enough, there's, there's a problem. We need to address it. What happened was this ministry that they had become, and I, I use the term loosely, but they, they became involved with, told them, they literally told them, said, don't leave their, don't leave your church. You just stay there. And, and they basically said, the people in your church aren't ready for what you know. Can you imagine how that would do for, a, and this was a relatively new believer, can you imagine how that would instill uh, spiritual pride? Whoa, I know something that them don't know. It's, pastor don't even know it, man. I, I'm, you know, it, 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 that just fed spiritual pride. And, and I think probably it was also to pr presumably to gain more recruits, I'm guessing. You know, we get more people. Um, well, after becoming aware of this, and remember it was all under the surface for quite a while, I did some investigation because I had never heard of this ministry and I thought, well, I want to look them up. And so I did some research. I looked about the About Them ministry. They were on the website, on their website, I should say. Um, and I came across something that really disturbed me. And what they had basically said, um, they acknowledge that people need to be saved by Christ. You know, so you're saved by, by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. So, that, you know, like, okay, that, that's good. I'm, at least they believe that. But then in their, their FAQ, their facts, they proceeded to use an illustration of a termite-infested house 
to describe someone who was experiencing demonic oppression, and they may even believe possession, I'm not sure, talking about a believer that had demonic oppression or, or, or possession. And, uh, and then what they, basically, what they basically said is just because a home with termites changed ownership didn't mean that the termites left. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. I grew up in California, but termites, you know, I'm, I, know what I know what they're talking about. So basically they're saying, you still need to do something about the termites. Just because you changed ownership doesn't mean the termites have left. And uh, man, I tell, I get that when it comes to a home. When it comes to home buying and, you know, in the natural world, yeah, hey, boy, that's, that's some wise advice, you know. Uh, you buy a house and it's got termites, you better get it fumigated. I, I understand that. But what they did was they used that to illustrate a person who's come to faith in Christ Jesus and Christ's salvation, Christ's redemption, Christ's healing in their lives and all, it, it wasn't enough. And so for a slight fee, you could pay these guys and they would deliver you from this demonic possession or, or oppression. Now, I, I, I tell you, it bothers, even to this day, it, it really bothers me it really bothers me because what they are in a sense saying is that salvation in Christ is not enough. You also need their deliverance ministry. It's not enough. And I, I go to Colossians, what Paul wrote in Colossians 1 verses 13 and 14. And this is what Jesus Christ has done. It says he has, past tense, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So my blood boils when I start, man, you, you mean you're saying that the cross of Christ is not enough? You also need something else? That is denying the Lord who bought them. That, that, in essence, that's what's, that's what's happening. If you start believing that Christ is not, a, uh, Christ's sacrifice is not enough, is, Excuse me. If you start believing that Christ's sacrifice for your sin is not enough, you are in essence denying the Lord who bought you. You're minimizing the work of the cross. And so this is destructive. It's very serious. Well, Peter says there in verse 2, many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Many people are going to follow. It's interesting because in 2 Timothy 4, Paul kind of echoes that in verses 3 and 4. He says, for the time will come, and he's speaking past, or he's speaking future, his future. I think it's upon us now. But he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to, fab to fables. You know what that heap up means? You ever heaped up food on your plate? You know, you know, us guys, we know what heaping up food on our plate is, right? My wife looks at me and goes, you know, <clears throat> I was hoping to like make two meals out of that, you know, and you're like taking like, you know, mound the stuff up, right? I'm accumulating. And, and that's what he's talking about. In the last days, people are going to accumulate. They're going to pile on teachers that are going to feed their itching ears. Now, he's speaking to a first century Christians, Paul is. Well, how can first century Christians heap up, you know, teachers? Accumulate? I, I, he said it, so it's, it's true. He says the time will come, and I think the time has come. And the reason why I say that is because, man, you can go home this afternoon, 
You can go to iTunes. You can go to Facebook. You can go to, you know, whatever you want. You can get some DVDs. You can find those teachers that teach you what you want to hear. You know, you want to feel good about yourself. Um, you know, I, I don't want to be confronted with my sin. I don't want to be, I don't want to address those real, I, I just want to feel good. I want to hear a good message that encourages me. And, and so what do we do? We accumulate teachers. Paul said that that would happen. And I think that time is now. I, I think is definitely describing where we're at at this place. So that leads to, we talked about why. Well, that leads to how do they do it? Verse 1 says, Peter says, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And that word secretly bring in, it's to bring in by the side of or to introduce along with others. See, a false teacher doesn't just say, hey, I want you to know I'm teaching this false teaching. You know, this is totally different. I just, I'm, uh, they don't announce that. They don't. What they do is they'll tell a truth, a truth, a truth, and then they slip in a lie. And you go, oh, wait a minute. And then there's another truth, and another truth, and another lie. And you're, you're like going, okay, some of the stuff they're saying is good, but man, I don't know about that thing. And that's what they do. It's, it's, it's not out, they are secretly bringing, they're laying it alongside the truth of the scriptures. In verse 3, he says, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Covetousness. Whose covetousness? Well, first of all, I think it's their covetousness. The King James Version of this verse says, Through covetousness they, uh, shall they, with feigned words, make merchandise of you. They're going to make merchandise of you. Again, Jude commentates on this, or com comments on it, commentates. He <laughs> comments on it. Verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So they're in it for the money. They're in it for, to make merchandise. So they're in it to get, gain an advantage financially from you. And I think of that one place I was talking about. They, everything was, you know, for a slight fee, we'll do this or that for you. Um, so it, I think he's talking about the covetousness of the false teachers. But I think he's also talking about the covetousness of you and I. You and I. Not only their covetous, but their appeal to the covetous of their followers. Why? How? By appealing to the self-gratification of their followers. Why is the prosperity gospel so popular in the world today? Because, man, I, what, can, what can God do for me, man? I, I want what God can do for me. And, and, and it becomes, man, it's, it's, it appeals. It appeals to people. It appeals to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I'm talking about false teaching in general. Listen, if you have, and I kind of alluded to this, but if you have an understanding of scripture that's, you know, um, no one else has around you, man, that makes you feel like, man, I, I'm, I'm wiser or I'm smarter or I'm more spiritual. And pretty soon you end up becoming a legend in your own mind. You know, you think I've got it all. Um, spiritual pride, by, by the way, it's very subtle. And if you're prideful, you, you won't see it because you're too proud to see it. But I tell you, it's, it's dangerous to be spiritually prideful. Well, how do they do that? They do this by twisting scripture. Uh, in, verse three, in chapter 3, verse 16, Paul, or Peter, I should say, describes it. He says they twist the scripture. They twist the truths. And that word twist means to torture. 
So in other words, they're like taking something and they're like making it seem like it means something totally like not what it was meant to mean. Taking something out of context and torturing the plain sense of it to fit their doctrine. That's how they do that. Paul wrote this in Colossians 2.8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Beware. Beware. Philosophy. Men's philosophy. Men's tradition. So, that leaves us with the question that's probably the most important for us, is what do we do to prevent ourselves from falling prey to a false teacher. Because, I mean, it's great. Okay, I know that there's false teachers in the church. <laughs> they're, they're here. <laughs> they're among us. Um, and, and, you know, it's destructive what they're teaching and stuff. But, okay, it's good to know. But, but what do I do? How do I prevent? How do I guard myself? And this is, I've got, I think, a, I think it's seven or eight things here, how you can guard yourself. And the very first thing, hopefully this is really, really, I mean, like elementary, and that is know your scriptures, right? Know your scriptures. Be a Berean. Acts 17, 11, who were the Bereans? These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out where thing, uh, whether these things were so. So like I'm teaching today and you go, I don't know if I really follow that. Go home and dig into the word and then come back to me and say, hey, you know, I found this and I don't know, you know, I don't know about what you just said. Dig into scriptures, be a Berean. Listen, a lot of people have a familiarity with scripture and familiarity with scripture is actually, in a way, it's kind of dangerous because someone can start saying something. And they use the words and they, you know, like I said, truth, 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 lie. And it can sound like if you don't know scripture, well, it goes, you know, that sounds about right. It's a little bit different from how I've heard it before, but it sounds good. If that's all you have is a familiarity with scripture, man, you're a prime candidate for being deceived. So know your scriptures first and foremost, very, very basic. The next thing is context is king. Remember that context is king. Beware of someone taking a passage of scripture out of context and isolating it from all other scripture and then coming and saying, this is a doctrine because look, it's in the Bible. You know, Jesus said this or whatever, you know. Um, the Bible is the best commentary on itself. Scripture is not going to contradict scripture. So if someone takes something out of context and they isolate it, that's a red flag. It really is. The next thing that you and I should do is beware of new revelations or new understandings of Scripture. And I've had people come up to me. I had this one guy once come to me and tell, you know what? I've got this new understanding from the New Testament. The church has missed it for 2,000 years. I'm like, whoa, this guy's prideful. <laughs> you know, it's like, are you serious? You think that the Holy Spirit wasn't working through the saints a generation before me, then they weren't, you know, that all of a sudden now we're this special generation that now the Holy Spirit's going to reveal? No, no, come on, give me a break. Beware of new revelations or new understandings of old scriptures. And this is pithy, but you probably heard it before, but it's true. If it's true, it isn't new. And if it's new, trust me, it's not true. Okay? If it's new, it's not. So if someone comes and goes, I got this new revelation that nobody ever seen before. Danger, danger, you know, <laughs> wave them off. <laughs> okay. 
the fourth way. Just because something is popular or being widely disseminated doesn't mean it's true. There, the, let me read the scripture to you, Ephesians 4, verse 14. Paul said this, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. It, you know, you can go down through, in our lifetime, you can go down through the years and, and there's been movements and there's been, and, and the movements have their own words. And, and pretty soon people are kind of saying the same thing. And it's like it's a popular movement or it's a popular thing to say. And there's, some of it's, some of it's good. But a lot of times it's a wind of doctrine just blowing through the church. And it's like it's a way everybody gets affected by it. And, and just because a majority of people go, oh, this is the greatest, newest thing. And popularity and, uh, um, being widely disseminated doesn't necessarily make it true, okay? So just understand that. Another thing, and this is, you know, I think this is probably really applicable when you, in the sense of, you know, false teachers. You know, Peter's talking about false teachers. I could be a false teacher up here teaching you falsely. I could be. Um, but in the context of the scripture, he's talking about people that come alongside you and go, hey, hey, you know, they, they're, 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 they're kind of, they're right among you and they're, they're kind of secretly bringing things in. Um, and here's the fifth thing. Just because someone seems nice and sincere and godly, that doesn't rule them out from being a false teacher. Why do I say that? Because Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 11, Verses 13 and 14, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So just because someone seems really spiritual, they've got a nice smile, they're, they're just pleasant to talk with, be careful. Be careful if what they're saying doesn't line up with Scripture, if they're trying to pull you aside. Here's a good rule of thumb. This is the sixth thing that you can do. And this is a thing that I, you know, I've, I've shared this with you many, many times, but I, I, I've put this into practice with things that I've heard and go, well, I wonder if that's scriptural. And I've asked, asked these questions. And if you can answer yes to all these questions, not always, but for the most part, you're on pretty solid ground. And the questions I ask myself when I, whenever I hear something new, I don't really fully get a, fully understand it. First of all, did Jesus teach it? Did he talk about it in the Gospels? Can you read it where he's talking about it? Um, did the early church of Acts in the book of Acts, did they practice it? Because if Jesus taught it and then they practiced it, okay, they're, they're, that's, that's pretty good. Finally, the third question is, did the apostles expound on it in their epistles? I'll give you an example. I think, you know, Jesus talked about how um, we could pick up deadly snakes and snakes wouldn't, wouldn't harm us. You know, Jesus taught about it. He said it. I mean, it's right there in the Gospels. I don't know which one, but you, could, you can find it. You can look it up later and see, be a Berean. Look it up. Um, uh, well, did the early church practice it? Well, I guess, you know, Paul, you know, remember when he was on that, they were on that island at Crete, I think it was, and, and uh, he was going to put some sticks in the fire because they had just been shipwrecked. They were all cold and shivering, and the natives had built a fire for him. Can't say natives. The, the indigenous, well, whoever, the people that were there, um, they built a fire, and so Paul goes and gathers some sticks, you know, you, you want to contribute, and uh, there's a poisonous viper that bites him, and he shook it off. 
And so, wow, he threw it in the fire and they, they're like, well, they're waiting for him to die because, you know, he must be a sinner. He got bit by a poisonous snake. That's what they're believing. And then nothing happens. And the Lord uses that to bring many people to Christ. Well, okay, Jesus talked about handling deadly snakes and, and not dying. <laughs> we see it evidenced in the Church of Acts at least once with Paul. There's two of the three questions that are asked. Well, let me ask you, go through the rest of the epistles. Do the, do, do the apostles say, hey, when you're handling snakes, this is how you guys should handle them? Or, you know, don't handle too many. I mean, they don't teach on it. They don't expound on it, right? So for me, and there's churches that do snake handling, you know, down in the south and stuff. Um, I, I go, okay, you know what? I, I, uh, I don't know that that's a doctrine I want to in, do into our church. My wife would kill me, by the way. She hates snakes. So um, I don't think that would go over too well here in our church anyways. But so, I mean, that's kind of my thinking. That's how I, again, it, it's not a, it's not like everything is going to fit into this, but for the most part, it's a good rule of thumb. It, it'll keep you safe. I guarantee it. The seventh thing, beware of whispers. Again, rather than openly declaring their beliefs, you know, if they're in a Bible study, we're getting and they say, hey, you know, I think Jesus, you know, said this and, and this is what he meant. And then we can all go, you know what? Uh, that's not what we read in the scriptures or, or, you know, yeah, I hear what you're saying there. But, you know, Paul says this over here. So how do we, court? It, you know, it's open to discussion. It's open to cross-examination. They don't do that. They'll pull someone aside and go, hey, you know, I got something I want to share with you. Again. If the work of the cross is in any way diminished, if anything they say is, is, is minimizing what Christ did on the cross, step away from them. Get away. Clear. Be clear from them. Clear yourself away from them. Jesus said it is finished. He paid the price. It's, it's all done. There's nothing more to be added to our salvation. There's nothing, there's nothing more. He paid the price. He conquered sin and, and, and hell. And uh, so if anything, again, if anything, you know, is, seeks to diminish the cross, it's a false teaching. Stay away from it. Well, Peter here, and I didn't, I read it, but I didn't really talk about it. Peter talks about the fact that he's going to, these false teachers, they're bringing self, they're bringing, excuse me, swift destruction on themselves. And he says, for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. And I didn't talk about that this morning because I just wanted to go through those who, what, where, how, why, you know, and, and what do we do about it questions. But next week, we're going to talk about the certainty of the judgment of false teachers, but also, praise the Lord, the certainty of our deliverance. And, and that's going to be the next portion of, of Second Peter that we're going to look at this um, next week. So if you guys would stand up, let's go ahead and go to Lord in prayer. And uh, 